Hello and welcome to The Cupid Couch, the podcast about love, sex and relationships, both present and past. My name is Genevieve Gaunt, the creator and host, and you can find visual content to go along with the show on the Instagram at The Cupid Couch. And if you're new, I'd go back and start with episode one. Welcome. This episode is the landscape of love. It's all about body hair, from 4000 BC to the present day. This episode is dedicated to all things down under. I got to know some of my closest friends even better when I asked them what they like on themselves, pubic hair-wise, and what they like on the people they take to bed. And a couple of friends even told me how pubic hair and its removal can be a part of their job. When you type is pubic hair dot 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 into Google, the first suggested hit is is pubic hair important? Well, I realise that the history of pubic hair says so much about religion, ideology, politics, culture and even science. I speak to the hirsute and the glabrous, to those who like boys, who like girls, who like both. Here's my first guest, Veronica. She's 37 and a good place to kick off this episode as she raises some interesting, if hairy, issues around body hair. Here's Veronica. I prefer it all off because I just feel like it's cleaner. But then also when I first started waxing everything off, I was like, I'm like a 12-year-old girl. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of on me. That's what I prefer. Having said that, that's changed depending on my partner over the years because Sometimes I'll realise they like a, a certain way and I like to please. <laughs> so I'll change it. But on men, I like it quite neat. I don't like too much hair because then there's too much picking out of the teeth and, you know, it just gets messy. And also, I think it just, when it, it looks more appealing, because sometimes a flaccid penis isn't the most appealing thing in the world anyway. So if it's covered by, it's engulfed by all of this hair, then it's not necessarily something I want to venture into. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd say, I don't want, don't want, get me wrong, I don't want them to wax everything off. Um, but they could veet around the anus, maybe the gooch. Um, and then just maybe just trim down around the front area so it's not so in your face I don't think that women or men should have to keep it a certain way I don't think that it's particularly masculine or feminine either way I think it's their choice Um, I watched a a show called well it's a it's kind of a continuous red red table talks with uh, Jada Pinkett and her son and her daughter and her husband <clears throat> and um, Willow her daughter uh, went through a phase of just not removing the hair from under her arms she just left it for a really long time to the point where the press picked up on it because she was singing because she performs and, and it was just out but it was quite long like a good couple of inches and she's a little bit lighter than me so her dark dark hair it was very very prominent so she kind of went through this phase of not wanting to get rid of it and I thought, good on you. Why, why, who is anyone to say anything but the, but the media? It stirs them up into a frenzy because 
it's, I guess, expected for women to keep it neat and clean and pretty and all of that. So um, live and let live, I think, when it comes to body hair. Have you ever come across anyone in the bedroom who has anything particularly, ooh? I wish I could say no. <laughs> um, it wasn't, mm, it was a mixture of hair and hygiene, which <laughs> I'm actually telling this story. Obviously no names because it's not fair. Everyone goes through phases. Um, so they might have moved on from that phase, but it was a mixture of hair and, and hygiene. And I think that the hair magnified the f fragrance <laughs> of <laughs> the hair just really, I feel like it was almost like clinging on to the smell if they also have foreskin. Um, it's just, it's a triple threat in the worst possible way. We don't speak anymore. Bless him. And he didn't know why? He did, but because someone else had told him. So someone else that had been seeing him had said something. Oh did God, you... Was it like a WhatsApp, like, support help group? I feel like there should have been an intervention, and I feel bad for not initiating said intervention because it would have probably helped women in the future that came across his path. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> Veronica hit upon a few interesting issues with body hair. Her odiferous ex-lover and his ample, smelly hair in the nether regions raised the question of pubic hair and hygiene. Veronica said herself that she felt all off was cleaner, but that's actually a myth. The NHS advises that pubic hair protects against infection and irritation. To quote Healthline.com, pubic hair serves a similar function to eyelashes or nose hair. It traps dirt, debris, and potentially harmful microorganisms. Scientists also suggest that the sebum that hair follicles produce prevents bacteria from reproducing. So, rather than pubic hair being a dirt trap, it could actually protect against STIs. There are other reasons why we might have pubic hair. Scientists pose a few possible reasons. One, it prevents chafing during intercourse. That's an image for you. Two, that it protects against disease, as we said. Three, that it acts as a visual sign that a man or woman has reached puberty. Four, um, there is an as yet unsubstantiated but proposed theory that pubic hair traps pheromones. I find this really interesting because you hear pheromones bandied about quite a lot, but what are they? Well, I looked it up. They are chemicals that send subconscious messages to a sexual partner that turn them on, like hormonal Wi-Fi or something. Pheromones are like hormones in that they are produced inside the body, but where they are crucially different from hormones is that hormones act inside the body whereas pheromones are secreted outside the body and influence the behaviour of another individual. And, potentially, pubic hair traps these pheromones. Another issue that Veronica raised is how female body hair is politicised. Female body hair has been a battleground long before Instagram and the body positivity movement. In the 15th century, a female Welsh poet wrote an ode to female pubic hair. Yep. 
Her name was Guerful Mechain, and she wrote of the vagina, It is full of love, a very proud forest, faultless gift, tender threes, fur of a fine pair of testicles, a girl's thick grove, circle of precious greeting, lovely bush, God save it. Guerful Mechain, imagine that, that was 15th century Wales, and she was saying, God save the lovely bush. I love her nicknames for the vagina, Proud Forest, A Girl's Thick Grove. They remind me of other amazing slang words for the vagina that indicate that in the past they let their gardens grow wild. Lexicographer and slang expert Jonathan Green records the following slang that abounds with verdant metaphors. 1618, Phoenix Nest. 1721, Ladies Low Toupee. Quite creepy that, actually. 1879, Mossy Treasure, it's quite cute, and also 1879, Parsley Bed, for the cooks among them, and in 1935, Garden of Delight. When Guerfel implored her reader to think of the lovely bush and ask God to save it, she'd be pleased by my next guest, Roz, who's in her late 20s. I asked her, as a bisexual woman, How do you feel about body hair on women? More the better. <laughs> well, I, mainly I'm, I mean, that's an ideological position, right? But I, I, I've made a, just a choice not to shave any body hair. It's also a really good signifier to other lesbians that you're, that you're a bit gay. How do you feel about pubic hair? I think about it all the time. <laughs> um, I don't have any preference, except I don't want to lick a shaved pussy to put it bluntly. I don't like seeing women with absolutely no pubic hair. I think it's really, 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 uh, it's, I find it very infantile and really scary. And I found that when I, I did it for years and years and years, way before I started having sex, I like heard from some girl at my school that, that boys will never have sex with you if you don't have, if you have any pubic hair. I was like 14 or 15. I went home and took my mum's razor and shaved all my pubic hair off, cut myself to bits in the process. I looked myself in the mirror and was like, I look like a little girl. This is gross. But I did it for years. And then I just got fucking bored of it. Mm. <laughs> I was spending money and uh, time and anxiety on my pubic hair. So uh, I thought, well, if that's my position, then I have to, that's my standard for other people as well. And that's what transpired to be. Lissy was quite particular about pubic hair. Yeah, so she really did manicure it, but, and I, I found that sexy, but it was always like, there was always some. I don't trim, really, or shape or shave. I'll like sometimes wax, if I'm going on holiday, then I'll wax like, so you can't see my bush under my bikini, but I basically don't bother much. And that's, again, a privilege of being a white person as well, I have to say, because I had this long discussion on holiday with my friend Mally, who's who's British, South Asian, her parents are Indian. And she was like, you can preach about growing out your body hair all you want, but you don't know what it's like to have Indian hair. Her haired hair is literally like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but that's also the case on her arms and underarms and on pub and pubic area and her legs. And she's just got really thick black hair. That's the caveat. As you heard, Roz loves pubic hair. And some people in history shared that love, but took it much further. In Jane Austen's time, in the early 19th century, King George IV 
kept his lover's pubes. In an oval silver snuffbox, he stored the pubic hair of a mistress of his. Inside the box, aside from a clump of this pubic hair, was a parchment, which explained the hair was from, quote, the mons veneris of a royal courtesan of King George IV. King George was notoriously kinky and a bit pervy, but he's not the only person who collected their lover's pubes. At exactly this time in history, Lord Byron had a tempestuous affair with a woman called Lady Caroline Lamb. The violent intensity of their affair is encapsulated, I think, in a gift she sent Byron. She sent her pubic hair to him in the post, and in an attached note she wrote, I cut the hair too close and bled more than you need. That is quite a token of love. So, generally, if the amount of pubic hair that people had over time was a graph, it wouldn't be a a straight line from hairy to hairless. It does seem to go up and down. And even now, in modern-day Korea, pubic hair is seen as a sign of sexual health and fertility, and I think fashion has changed, because now women are having pubic hair grafting. They are having their head hair transplanted onto their crotches. Isn't that interesting? So... Some people like hair, some people don't. And sometimes if those wires get crossed on a date, the result can be quite awkward. Here is Paul. He is 36. I was working in Frankfurt a number of years ago and had gone onto Grindr to find someone that might like to go for a drink or whatever. And this chap seemed quite nice, spoke English, lived near the hotel, said that he would come over. So he came to my hotel room. Very dangerous now, looking back on it as a 35-year-old man saying, inviting some stranger to my hotel room. Anyway, he came, started kissing, everything was going great. Fall back onto the bed, quickly take the tops off, and he stops and he goes, oh, what? Oh, you've, um, you've got a hairy chest. I went, yeah. I'm sorry, um, it doesn't matter. We started kissing again. He went, no, 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 stop, stop. I can't do it, I can't do it. I should have asked. I've just got this thing about too much body hair and... Now, I don't have a particularly hairy chest. I have, like, a an oval of it here and then like a stripe down my stomach. It's not like I'm all over my shoulders or over my back or anything. So this was the first time that I'd ever encountered someone that didn't like body hair. And then it was like, um, maybe we can just go for a drink or something instead. I was mortified. I was like, no, get out of my room. Like, I do not even want to speak to you. I'm so embarrassed now that I've just been sort of physically rejected. I have never gotten to the stage where I've taken my clothes off and basically told to put them back on again. So that was my, yeah, body hair story. Uh, Most gay men that I know, manscape, I suppose is what it's called. Some friends shave all of their body hair off. Maybe apart from arms and legs, some people even do that. Um... I would say, let's say talking percentages instead of numbers, 90% of the people that I have uh, seen naked 
uh, have at least trimmed their body hair. I mean, sometimes if you've, you know, allowed yourself to grow freely, it can sort of retain sweaty smells, which are not always great. Some people love that. Some people are all about the, the sweat and the, the sort of dirt and actively want that. Um, you know, I've been asked before on online dating not to wash or like specifically to go out and run first or, you know. There have been times sexually where I found it appealing in the throes of passion and then gone for a shower afterwards and thought, bloody hell, that was gross. Oh, 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 oh. It's funny we're so squeamish about hair and sweat because we've just talked about the possibility that pubic hair actually traps pheromones and we know for a fact that those pheromones are actually trapped in our underarms. So the idea that someone can request on Grinder or something like turn up sweaty, it actually goes back to the Elizabethans. In 1986, a biologist and behavioural endocrinologist, Dr. Winifred Cutler, co-discovered pheromones in our underarms. This might explain why, in Elizabethan England, it was common practice for a maiden to peel an apple, place a slice in her armpit to absorb the smell, and then present it to a potential suitor as a memento. Can you imagine that now? Hi, um, yeah, I'm not really, I don't do many dating updates, but um, uh, hi, here, here's an apple that I, I've, been, I've had wedged under my armpit all the way on the central line to meet you tonight. Oh, thank you very much. Would you like a beer? So, we've established that women like it on, like it off, they like a variety, and that they should probably be allowed to do what they want with their hair, and that fashions change. But a big question remains. What do straight guys nowadays actually like? Do they like it all on, all off, what? I asked my friend Joe, a heterosexual male, what he likes, and he said... It's not my choice. What do you like? I like whatever. Like, to, to, to back that up, like, I don't watch porn. I don't watch a lot of porn. I never have, really. And I've never really kind of seen that world. If a man wanted to shave his pubic region, if... He felt like it made his penis look a little bit bigger or it's more streamlined or, which is probably more accurate, it looks like it does in the films, porn. Good for you, boo. As a woman, if you feel confident, more confident having no hair, please don't let it be because you think the man would want it. As long as, unless you love that person and you're, in a, you're married or in a relationship or whatever, please don't shave your bush for a date because you think that That's what they want. he might say something bad about it. Fucking go full blown Serbian and <laughs> enjoy yourself no matter what. Because if he's a decent guy, he will go at it no matter what. And he'll go down there for hours and that's fine, you know? But like never do it for somebody else and never do it for someone you don't know yet, for God's sake. If you think you're going to have a one-night stand with this guy on a date, do not shave your bush for it. So if you don't want to. Basically, just do you. Do you. And me, personally, I don't mind. 
Joe raised the issue of porn and its influence on body hair. The funny thing is, is that until 1974, female porn stars had full bushes. But in 1974, Hustler magazine showed a hairless vagina. It's possible that the reason for full body hair removal in pornography is so that the content is more graphic, so that you can see more. But it's interesting that that has trickled its way down into ordinary people's bedrooms. The novelist Martin Amos actually wrote that pornography is a parody of love. And I wonder if pornography is also a parody of pubic hair, a parody of what we do in the bedroom and what we do with our bodies. So if a lot of straight guys are watching porn and there are a lot of hairless vaginas in pornography, what does your average straight guy actually like? Does he want a naked shaved pussy? I got to ask one of my friends, George, in his late 20s, that very question. Here's George. So, if I went to hold someone's leg and they would like recoil because they are not completely shaven, that is really weird. I can understand because it's all programming, but I mean, wow, it's like really mortified at the idea of a man feeling any kind of yeah, just leg hair on, on your on your on your on your shin. It's like that is that's nuts. There's someone who I mentioned earlier on who I had the most amazing date with, who uh, who I uh, couldn't get hard for at the end of the night after all the tequila. She was so she like doesn't have a spot of hair on her like what, anywhere. She's from Essex and like she's you know that's the culture there. It, it is slightly dehumanizing a little bit. But I mean, whatever. I didn't take, you know, it didn't freak me out. In terms of uh, in the nether regions on a female, I think you've got to have some hair going on. Otherwise, it's just like, I mean, who am I to say you've got to? But like, I think personally, so it's not, you know, like a, an infant vagina. But generally, yeah, like armpits, arms, everything. I'm quite a natural kind of guy. I really, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. And uh, any any bloke out there who's considering scolding any woman who does have hair, go fuck yourself. You tell him, George. So I've talked about this idea of the naked vagina and how it's seen in pornography. And porn is still considered like a dirty secret. And yet, naked vaginas abound everywhere. In the most respected of arts. What is that? Classical statues. But have you ever seen a nude marble or stone statue of a naked woman with pubic hair? I asked Charlotte, 27, who works in the art world, about the depiction of body hair in art. Here's Charlotte. I think pubic hair has always been a very loaded thing because uh, it is just so intimate and so erotic in both a positive and negative sense because you can have, like threatening eroticism as well as sensual um so i think when you take it from actually someone recently asked me why it is that classical sculptures don't have pubic hair um and my take is that it is about formality that pubic hair is too intimate 
So for a monumental nude that you would use to adorn a temple or outside a civic building, you wouldn't include hair because it's just too intimate. But private models and private objects may well have included pubic hair um, or added, you know. Um, and then if you bring that forward, um, because of that classical formal ideal of a, of a hairless nude, which largely comes through it because Renaissance painters were looking at sculptures. And also it's just hard to depict hair on sculpture for obvious reasons, because it's quite difficult to carve it in and make it look convincing on like a beautiful smooth marble. Because either you incise it in or you cut it away, but then it, then some, some sculptures do have it, but they, it looks really weird and like ripply. And it's in Renaissance painting a lot of the time you see these kind of hairless, pale women. Um, so like the Venus of Albino by Titian. I then asked Charlotte which piece of art would she pick as the most iconic example of pubic hair in the art world. And she said... L'origine du monde, where he just shows um, a female body with their legs spread looking up into a vagina, but with no head and no legs, and it's sort of truncated. And it was originally displayed, uh, obviously, in order to shock people. And what really shocked people was also the pubic hair, because there, there was a reality to this that made people so uncomfortable, who in the 19th century were used to formal nudes that we've discussed are from this classical tradition. And he just puts you literally face to face with the origin of your world. You came out of that. Face it. And played with the fact that people were so deeply uncomfortable with looking at a vagina. Now we're sort of post-shock in terms of like genitalia. I mean, you can show pretty much anything. And I mean, in art, the only restriction in the contemporary art world is just what will sell. If you're not familiar with L'Origine du Monde, The Origin of the World, painted by Gustave Courbet in 1866, I recommend you Google it. Maybe out of sight of children or partially sighted landscape gardeners, who, with one look at this painting, will be as excited as Alan Titmarsh at the Chelsea Flower Show. When I then looked further into the relationship between art and body hair, I saw that Bosch, Titian and Michelangelo all painted hairless vaginas. Even Manet's famous painting of Prostitute Olympia in 1863 didn't dare show it. Pubic hair at that time was so shocking, it could get you thrown in jail. The Spanish painter Francisco de Goya painted a beautiful nude called La Maja Desnuda. In it, a woman reclines with pubic hair on show. The recipient of the painting, the Prime Minister, was so shocked he hid it out of sight. And later, Goya was even grilled by the Spanish Inquisition for the painting, who called it indecent. I find it fascinating how the idea of indecency changes according to time and place and culture. What if being, quote, indecent is your job? I spoke to actor Ellerica Johnson about playing a stripper on the hit TV show P-Valley on Stars and how hair removal is a part of her day job. Here's Ellerica. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? P-Valley is it, it's a story about this strip club and these strippers um, and so it just follows a story about them and and issues that they have in their lives that everybody has but it all goes on in this amazing strip club in the dirty south so we uh we were given an option to have laser if we wanted it 
um, like any kind of show that you're doing, there might be wigs or there might be moustaches that are added or taken away. And so for these girls, research is, you know, the girls are hairless in the strip clubs. Um, and then you kind of pick if you, some of the girls have like just a um, bikini kind of wax or shaved. Um, and some of them have Brazilian and some of them have Hollywood, so everything off. And so for us, it was like, okay, we still get to be ourselves. We're going to pick whatever, but just as long as I guess in this world, what neat is, you know, if we are being true to our characters, then it means that there is less hair on set. I have my preference on body hair and that's less of it for me is better. And so I have a certain upkeep. I was doing laser before. I did think, imagine if I was one of my closest friends, if I was her, and I was so, I uh, felt strongly about my body hair. If I got this job, what would that mean? Costume might change. And instead of having the full thong or pants that covers more of your bikini line, you have less. And so the line that you've made nice and clean and tidy because you thought you were wearing the other option, you, you come to it on the day and you've got little friends sticking out. So, you know, if they change scenes, we had to know in advance because if we had a bit of regrowth or, you know, razors were in my trailer. And uh, sorry guys, can't get on set for another five minutes. I need to go and shave. It was a, a, a usual, actually that happened very often. <laughs> really often. And uh, of course, makeup as well, covering up, you know, any marks we always women, you know, get ingrown hairs or have certain marks or whatever. And so there was intimate body uh, makeup. And <laughs> we got very close with our makeup artists, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they become like family after a while. So at first you're a bit like trying to hide, oh, have a towel. By the end of it, you're naked and your legs up on the chairs. Like, yeah, you're talking about what you ate for lunch. Ella Rica on a TV set in 2019 had to remove her pubic hair. And in 1550, the ladies in waiting of the Queen Consort of France were forbidden from removing theirs. I'll explain. The Italian-born Queen of France, Catherine de' Medici, forbade her ladies-in-waiting from removing their pubic hair because that's what women, especially prostitutes, did back then to hide the evidence of pubic lice. Presumably, by letting their hair grow naturally, it would be easy to examine whether or not they were free from disease. The women who did shave off all their pubic hair back then would then don something called a merkin. It's a fanny wig. They are actually still used today on TV and film sets. They're either used to show a historically more accurate bush or for an actress's privacy. The etymology of merkin comes from malkin or morkin, 13th century words for a slut, basically. I've actually always wanted to call them figs, like fanny and wig put together, and also like the fig leaves the Victorians put on paintings of Adam and Eve to protect their modesty. There's one more historical anecdote of a female monarch who forces her ladies-in-waiting to do something strange with their hair. That woman is Elizabeth of Russia, the daughter of Catherine I and Peter the Great. Elizabeth of Russia ruled in the mid-18th century, and when she grew older, she became obsessed with her hair. To quote from Simon C. Bagmontfiore's stunning book, The Romanovs, Elisaveta became more dangerous as she aged. Once, her hair dyeing went wrong, and since the blunder obliged her to shave off her hair, she forced every girl at court to do the same. The ladies wept, but obeyed. 
the emperor sent them black perukes to wear till it grew out again. And side note, a peruke is a 16th century word for a wig. When I spoke to my friend Jacob Bird, aka Dina Lux, about the process of getting ready for drag and the part that concealing hair plays, I learnt something quite interesting. Here's Jacob. Well, I suppose, I suppose the number one is getting the hair you don't want, your, your, the hair you don't want there to go. So whether that's shaving your face, beating your chest, because I can't shave my chest so annoyingly because it razor burn all that rubbish. And shaving your legs if you need to. Uh, my legs are probably the only one that I'm actually quite lenient with because if you wear like a pair of tights and like suspenders, no one can really see. Because especially if they're like a couple of millimeters long. Um, and then it's just the make, then the makeup, and then that is, and then I wigs. Wigs are the bane of my life because I can't do wigs as good as I am at makeup. I'm not talented at doing wigs. I have to pay so much bloody money to get my wig set. I got this amazing hair started. They gave him my ratty, ratty wig. And within half an hour, it was this perfect Marilyn. And I was like, how did you do that? Because that wig was dead. Um, then the wig's on. I quite like being naked in drag. So I like my bare skin. I like that's So if I really do shave my legs and go the whole hog, I like, the, you know, feeling like running around and there's just like nothing on you. <laughs> nothing on you at all. Until I've only got a little bit of duct tape left covering my penis. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And then I do a jump split and everyone's shocked as to the origami of my testicles <laughs> where, where everything's gone. But it's fantastic. That's like my show. I'm very good at tucking. Well, my friends make fun of me because sometimes my tuck is, can be can, can be wanting. So you tuck your penis up with duct tape, but how does it stay if you're doing a split? And where do the balls go? The oh my god, the balls, the balls. The, the, it's so disgusting. The balls go up inside of you. There's like a little pocket above, uh, like kind of by the base of your penis. Well, not your penis, one's penis, <laughs> where you can pop it, pop them up. And so it sounds so disgusting. So you're you're and um, so you have an empty ball bag then because your testicles now inter <laughs> internal, and it means you can just pop pull that behind you and then duct tape it sort of to your lower back. And then it doesn't really move. It be a lot. Does hurt your skin? Duct, duct tape. tape? No, the movies, they rip off and it hurts. No, duct tape actually doesn't do anything, really, at all. Like, it only sticks to itself, weirdly. So you have to kind of, like, yeah, it's not that bad. Gorilla tape. Oh, my God. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. I was in New York, and I went to Home Depot to get duct tape to tuck, and I just picked the one that looked the strongest because the strongest one literally never does anything. Fuck me. I got back. I got back from night out, and I was like, I've lost my penis. <laughs> like, I tried everything. I went in the shower. I lathered it up. Like, I used moisturizer, trying to peel it away from the skin. Nothing. Eventually, it came off. Like, but after, like, after, like, I really considered going to any. Or you could have got, like, solvent, I suppose. Because some drag queens in America, there's one called Willem who uses, it's a tape they use <laughs> to waterproof the sides of boats that have holes in them. Like, it's, like, industrial, like, industrial strength. Obscene. Obscene. Jacob talking about hair removal and wigs and tucking taught me something really interesting about the history of hair removal. Whatever gender you are, 
or sexual orientation, whatever period in history you're in. Each time and place makes these arbitrary rules and cultural fashions for the hair that we should conceal and the hair we should promote. And across different religions, the rules regarding hair and hair removal are also different. In Sikhism, kesh is the practice of allowing one's hair to grow naturally out of respect for the perfection of God's creation. In Judaism, Orthodox Jews are forbidden from shaving with a razor, which is why you see men with side curls called peyot. And married women have to cover their head hair with a scarf or wig called a shaitel. Some ultra-Orthodox Jewish women even shave their heads to ensure that modesty is being observed. And Islam has laws about hair too. For thousands of years, the Quran has been instructing Muslims to remove their pubic and armpit hair as an impulse to general purity and cleanliness. But not everyone believes that pubic hair is an ideological stance. To that end, here's my last guest, Martha, with a more laid-back approach to the whole affair. So, I am scared of wax. Uh, I used some once on my leg and it came out in a horrible rash. I've got quite sensitive skin anyway, so... Um, I've got several friends of mine that are quite like... I do believe people should be able to do what they want with their body hair. Totally fine. Don't want to judge other people for it. But for me, personally, wax is just, like, the scariest thing in the world and I would never get my fuff waxed. Um, I'll shave it. Your fuff. My fuff. Um, <laughs> I'd never get my fuff waxed. Just because I'm scared. And it sounds like it hurts. Veet smells weird. Death and arseholes and just... And like aloe vera. <laughs> I still haven't worked out how to shave with a razor my asshole. Like, I just haven't worked it out. It's one of life's great mysteries. I've had myself contorting into all these, like, weird positions. And then I just get scared that I'm going to cut a bit of my bum off. And um, I stop and just, just dim the lights, really. But, yeah, body hair, very personal thing. I quite like having armpit hair. So quite often I'll just grow that out for a bit of an experiment. I personally don't like it if people are completely shaved. Guys or girls are completely shaved. I find that a bit like looking at like a naked mole rat. The thing that I find most attractive is someone that's an enthusiast about something, be that their own body hair or be that trains or crosswords or like, I don't know, animals or whatever. Honestly, just do what you like with your, with your things and yeah. Martha mentioned Veet, the hair removal cream. How old do you think hair removal cream is? 50 years? A hundred years? Five hundred years? It's actually longer. Hair removal cream, believe it or not, is 6,000 years old. So with that in mind, I want to do a quick timeline of the history of hair removal to put all of this into perspective. We'll start with Veet, or hair removal cream, at 4,000 BC. The ancient Turks used a mixture called rusma, made from arsenic, quicklime, and starch. Ouch. In 3000 BC, some of the first razors made of copper were used in Egypt and India. That's ancient, ancient Egypt. This is 3000 years before the famous Cleopatra VII. In 3000 BC, Egyptian women removed their head hair and considered pubic hair uncivilized. In the 6th century BC, well-off Roman women used tweezers, pumice stones, and depilatories. And in the 1st century BC, the time of Cleopatra VII, those ancient Egyptian women used something called sugaring, 
which we think of as being just a recent beauty fad. It's a process of hair removal similar to waxing. It's a paste made of sugar, lemon and water. Once heated, is applied directly to the skin and removes the hair from the root. And then it's really the Crusades in the 10th century AD which changed things for body hair in Western Europe. To quote the Encyclopedia of Hair by Victoria Shero, ancient Caucasian peoples usually did not remove their body hair. During some historic periods, dense body hair was regarded as an asset. This attitude changed in the 10th century, after European crusaders returned from the Middle East to Christian Europe. What that means is that in the 10th century, crusaders returned from the Middle East and brought back the practice of pubic hair removal with them. In the mid-16th century, the Elizabethan era in England, Elizabethans favoured a shaved forehead and plucked eyebrows. They used pastes that burned their skin and even caused hair loss. And then the Georgians and some prominent Georgians' love of collecting lovers' pubes and then, later that century, in Victorian England, it's thought that Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species encouraged hair removal as a bid for people to distance themselves from their hairy ape ancestors. This idea that hair was seen as primitive after the book was published chimes with an excerpt from an etiquette and advice manual I found from 1893. Quote, some women have another and still deeper cause for despair. She's just been talking about acne and inflammation. I speak of the hairs which appear on the chin in maturity, and of the down which may darken and give a mannish look, even to the rosy lips of a girl of twenty. Let none give way to despair. There is more than one remedy for these ills. First, I consider that the use of a pair of small steel pincers... Dot, 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 She's obviously talking about tweezers. In 1875, electrolysis was invented in St. Louis, Missouri. And then jumping forward to 1914, Harper's Bazaar was the first of the women's magazines to run hair removal adverts. As arms and legs became more exposed, Gillette created the Milady Décolleté, which launched an anti-underarm hair campaign in 1915. The female razor for underarm hair probably really took off with the invention of the sleeveless dress, because until then, women didn't bear their underarms. And then come the 1970s, pubic hair really shifted. It appeared for the first time in Penthouse magazine in 1970, but by 1974, Hustler published the first, quote, pink shots of a hairless vagina. Apparently, though, Porn stars actually rocked full bushes until the 1980s. And then in 1987, the Brazilian wax hit the mainstream and the first salon offered a complete wax removal. But it wouldn't be right to finish this episode without a mention of one of my favourite passages of Chaucer. Chaucer, the medieval English poet who in around 1400, in the Canterbury Tales wrote about a woman's bush. Yes. In this passage from the Canterbury Tales, a woman tricks a lustful lover into kissing her backside. She sticks her naked bottom out of the window, and instead of her mouth, he gets her... Yep, you got it. Dark was the night as pitch or as coal, and at the window out she put her hole. And Absalom, him fill nay bet nay worse, but with his mouth 
he kissed her naked ass full savourly, ere he were aware of this. Aback he start, and thought it was amiss, for well he wist a woman hath no beard. Chaucer's beard joke reminds me of recorded slang for the vagina as silent beard in 1702. But perhaps Chaucer wouldn't be shocked by the female landscape of today. Stats show that women in lockdown have been letting their lady gardens flourish. Hmm. And that's the end of this episode. The next episode of The Cupid Couch is Treachery and Tudor Tinder. From dating profiles to portraits, this episode explores catfishing both ancient and modern, with stories from my guests that make you question, can you ever really know the person lying in bed beside you at night? That's up next. My name is Genevieve Gaunt, and you've been listening to The Cupid Couch.